Hello everyone. I don't know why, but I wanted to start speaking in an accent, but it would have been a disaster because I had no particular accent in mind. Um, just random things that happen when you get on stage. Oh, you like my shirt, thank you. Okay, so yeah, let's start by talking about my t-shirt. So, um, you remember last time I spoke, if you were here, it was a couple of weeks ago, I was speaking about Christ being our life and how when the Lord Jesus appears, we're going to also appear with Him in glory. And uh, I said, you know, a lot of people have different passions in life. You know, you, you, you see people out there and it can be said of them that football is their life. And, you know, they wear their football jerseys. They, you know, they look forward to the weekends when they can watch the footy matches and they're talking about which, you know, player is best and all the rest of it. Um, and I just thought, you know what, why don't I wear a jersey for Jesus, you know? I, I was convinced by my own <laughs> message that I should go do something about it. So I went out and I bought a, a Christian t-shirt. I looked all over the web for one that I liked, and I've got a couple of different ones coming, but any excuse to talk about the one that we're most passionate about, right? Like, Christianity shouldn't be boring. You know, this should be way more exciting than the football. We have a living God that we serve, that we worship. We have the Lord Jesus who was raised from the dead. Um, I'll just jump straight to it. I spoke to a guy in the sauna yesterday for two hours. <laughs> And uh, he was telling me that so many religions go on so many different paths, and he was saying he used to be a Christian minister, but now he sees that all religions sort of have their own path and their own journey, and they all end up at the same conclusions. And I said to him, no, they don't. We are the only religion where the man who we worship was raised from the dead. Show me another man in history who's proved he has power over the grave. That's our king. That's our God, the one who conquered death. And so, yeah, we, we're not going to be compared to other religions. And furthermore, we don't do the saving. The Lord Jesus does the saving. I spoke to another guy um, the week prior in the sauna again. This guy was a, um, he was a very spiritual, I could tell from the tattoos on his arms. And I just said to him, um, you know, where did you get these, uh, these tattoos? And he said, in Thailand. And I said, oh, I was going to get a cross tattoo one time because I'm a Christian. But then I realized it'd be confusing if I raised my hand in church because then it'd be an upside-down cross. And um, so I said, I didn't end up getting the tattoo. But that started the conversation. I asked him, why is it that you do meditation? And he went through, like, what he does. He does, like, 10 days of meditation and goes to some retreat. Um, he's about to do a three-month one. And he told me all about it. And I said, what are you looking for? And he's like, well, I've got all this trauma in my past. I've got all this confusion in my mind. And, um, you know, after 10 days, I felt like I was only scratching the surface and I really want to spend three months next time and maybe I'll get somewhere. I said to him, I prayed to the Lord Jesus and I said, in five minutes, you know, he took away the knots that were in my brain. I said, you can be set free by a power outside of yourself if you stop trying to, to do it yourself. You see, world religions say that we need to work ourselves to God, but the Christian message is that God came down in the person of his son. He died on a cross for our sins to reconcile himself to us. And he had to reconcile himself to us because God is a just God. We read in the Psalms, God is a just God and he is angry with the wicked every day. And if we're honest with ourselves, we've all done things and fallen short of the glory of God. The most religious of us are not religious enough. You know, we still have our areas of hypocrisy. We still have our areas of selfishness and greed. And we need the Lord Jesus to set us free. And he's the one who can do it. He's got the power to do it. He's the only holy one who has ever lived. I don't even know if I should go on my notes. Um, so we are looking at John 3.16 this morning. It's the famous verse. We know the verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, 
that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's God's heart for you this morning, that you would be saved. God doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. God has sent his son as an act of love. Jesus hanging on the cross is how we can know that God loves us. Oh dear. Oh dear, dear, dear. I've gone so far away from my notes. I don't know if I can come back to them. Um, So people have different ways of sharing the gospel. When I was a young, young Christian and very zealous, um, I used to do street evangelism, like on the streets of Malibu. Yeah, Tony's giving me a... Some people still do street evangelism. I'm a bit rusty, Tony. I'll come out maybe one day. But uh, yeah, so... I was very abrupt as a 20-year-old. I would go up to people and I would just coldly say, well, I I wasn't too cold, but I said, can I ask you a question? And they'd be like, yeah, sure, because I'm young, whatever. And I said, if you died right now, would you go to heaven or hell? (laughs) And they were like, oh, um, that's a pretty full-on question. Um, But thankfully, most people were gracious with me because they could see I was young and zealous and They sort of just patiently waited for me and most of them ended up telling me that they were a pretty good person and if there was a heaven, they'd probably go to heaven. And then I would spend my time trying to convince them, well, actually, have you ever told a lie before? What do you tell someone who tells lies? Well, a liar. You know, have you ever stolen before? And we'd go through like a few commandments and I'd say to them, look, you know, you need a savior, you know, I don't think you're going to go to heaven with that sort of track record. I did have one guy get angry and start punching his hand against his fists and he said, honey, take me away from this kid before I pulverize him. So you will face persecution if you do it that way. Um, I have no idea why I shared that or where we're going with that. So God loved the world. You know, this is the message we preach. There's a popular message on the Sunshine Coast. You may have seen it. It, it, Some people have as a sticker on their car. It says, God, wait, it says, you are loved. You've probably seen it all over the place. You are loved. And I don't want to be too critical of it because in its right context, that is a very good message. But if you extract you are loved from the centerpiece of the gospel, which is the cross, you're preaching a message which is not the message the apostles preached. If you take the time to go through the whole book of Acts, you'll see multiple times that the the uh, disciples shared the gospel with the lost, the good news of how people could get right with God. And never once did they actually say, God loves you. Now, that's not to say that we shouldn't say God loves you to a person on the street. But what they did preach was they preached the deeds of God, which was how people knew that God loved them. How do we know that God loves us? We know that God loves us because he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. His son was judged so that we could receive everlasting life. That's how we know that we are loved. It's in the person of his son. So we see that it's never sacrificed, uh, it's never separated from the sacrifice of Jesus in scripture. So just a couple of examples for you. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You might be here this morning thinking, man, this message isn't for me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a mess up. You know, I've messed up my life or whatever. Well, the scriptures say that God has actually demonstrated his love for you in that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. So while, while you were still an enemy of God, Jesus was sent so that you could be reconciled to God. That's the good news. And through faith in Jesus, we have peace with God 
and the gift of everlasting life. Another verse, 1 John chapter um, 3, verse 16, it says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So why is it that Christians should be known by their love for one another? That's what Jesus said. In the church, we should be known by our love for one another. It's because when we grasp the gospel, the centerpiece of the gospel, the cross, and we see how much it cost God to bring us to himself, when we see the suffering of Jesus on the cross, we go, wow, God, you loved me so much. You loved me with a sacrificial love. And so we as Christians then go out and love one another with that same sacrificial love that was shown towards us. How is it that I can be patient with you in your failings and your sin? In the same way that God has been patient with me and my failings and my sin, we are sharing in the love of God. You know, the scriptures say God is love and he's poured out this love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Um, this guy I was speaking to yesterday at the gym, uh, we spoke for a very long time. He was very burnt out. He had actually done a, a theology degree and everything. He used to be a pastor. Um, unfortunately, his wife uh, committed adultery and it threw his whole world into a tailspin. Um, and he ended up walking away from the faith. But one of the main things he said for why he walked away is because in that trial where his marriage fell apart, he said the church um, sided with his ex-wife and basically abandoned him. And um, he said, look, I went through all the normal means that the Bible says to go through and I was let down. I said, well, the scriptures say that Jesus' disciples be known by their love for one another. And I said, yes, we're still struggling. Yes, there's still areas in our life that need to come under his lordship. But you need to find a community of believers who love you with the love that Christ showed the church. And so I encouraged him, just because you didn't receive it there doesn't mean there's not other groups of people out there who have the love of God in their hearts. And I said, furthermore, you're not clinging to the members of the church. You're clinging to the Lord Jesus. He is the Holy One. You know... I'm sorry if I let you down. I'm sorry if sometimes I, you know, say something rude or act selfishly or whatever. I'm trying to imitate Christ. You know, it says to imitate, or Paul said, imitate me as I imitate the Lord Jesus. I'm trying to follow the Lord Jesus, but I'm not the holy one. I'm not the perfect one. You know, I need Jesus to forgive me and to reconcile me too. But there is one who lived a blameless life. There is a lamb without spot or blemish that was sacrificed for you and by his blood, you can come to the Father. You can know him as your loving heavenly Father. One of the um, things I wanted to shoot down to today, and I, I do this a lot, this one thing is a sticking point for me. So many people get the whole gospel wrong because they start with the wrong foundation. People assume that everyone born into this world is by default a child of God. And that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that we're descendants of Adam, that rebellious man, the one who rebelled against God, the one that said that he would choose for himself knowledge of good and evil. You know, um, in uh, John chapter 1, you know, John chapter 1 verse 12, I think it is, it says, as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right or the power to become children of God to those who believe on his name. You know, so you need to do something. You need to receive the sacrifice on Jesus on the cross. You need to call upon the Lord and you'll be saved. Because whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But when you do, when you look to the cross for salvation, God will, will forgive you of your sin. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he will adopt you, the scripture says, as his child. 
And as it says in Galatians, for we are, we are all children of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's no longer this distant God who is our enemy because of our wicked works, but it's a God who loves us and reconciles us to himself through his son. Um, another verse, 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 8. I did try to put a couple of verses down the bottom to help because, like, yeah, it's just a couple. <laughs> um, it says, in this, the love of God was revealed to us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Isn't that good news? You know, even in chapter 8 of Romans, that great passage about nothing separating us from the love of God, before it gets to that, in Romans 8.32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? So he gave the best sacrifice first, the sacrifice of his own son. And so with him, he's going to give us even more than that. He's going to lavish his riches of love upon us. This is why we worship God. We're not fearfully cowering, um, you know, thinking, oh man, like God hates me and stuff. We know that God loves us because he sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. It says that God so loved the world that he gave. It's that giving love. You know, um, when, when a Jew read this passage, because this was originally in context of a conversation, John 3.16, um, if you look in chapter John, if you look in John chapter three, it's a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee; he was a religious ruler of the Jews, and he came to Jesus by night, and he said, "Teacher, we know that you're come from God, because no one can do the things that you do unless he's been sent by God." And Jesus said to Nicodemus, "You must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God." And I'll come back to that a bit later, but. All that to say, when they, read, when they heard the words from John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, or his one and only son, your Bible might say begotten, but it just means one and unique only son. It doesn't mean that Jesus was created. He was the one and only son of God. When they heard that, being Jews, they would have remembered passages from the Old Testament, and most specifically, they would have remembered the story of Abraham offering up Isaac on the altar. So we're going to go to that passage now uh, because it's vital in understanding God's plan of salvation. So the story is found in Genesis chapter 22. Um, and God, had, uh, God was going to test Abraham and he asked him and he said, Take now your son, take now your son, your only son Isaac, who you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. Really full on. But John 3.16, God's only son, we've got to remember that, was given. And here, this is uh, 2000 BC, so you know, 2000 years before Jesus. A man who was in right relationship with God heard God tell him to offer up his son. Now I have a son, I have an only son, <laughs> as you saw on stage before with my wife Jess. The thought of offering up my son for any of you, I'm sorry, it's a little bit off the table. Like he is so precious to me being my only son. 
And I understand that now as a father. And if you're a father here, you'd understand. Or even as a mother, you would understand how much that would cost to think of offering your child for the life of another. But yes, Abraham was um, told to offer up a son. Interestingly, in the Bible, this is the first place where love is ever mentioned. I don't know if you ever thought about it. The first mention of love in the Bible is, Abraham, I want you to offer up your son, your only son, who you love. So again, we see this coupling of love and sacrifice because the Old Testament was, was pointing towards what God was going to do in Christ. It was leading towards that. Jesus said to the Jews, you search the scriptures diligently, for in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which speak of me. So when we read these Old Testament passages, we read about the wars in the land of Cana. We read about the Israelites coming out of the land of Egypt through the Red Sea. These aren't just, you know, interesting stories. God is trying to show us something, spiritual realities. You know, coming out of Egypt is like coming out of the world, passing through the waters of baptism on our way to the promised land and fighting battles. There's such richness there that we sometimes miss in our English context. And the same is true with the story of Abraham offering up Isaac. So, leading up to this event, just so, I just want to clarify, Abraham's not a maniac. He's not, you know, he's not hearing strange voices, because some people have justified this for all sorts of hideous crimes in the world. You know, Abraham actually had angels visit him, physical angels visiting him. Um, He'd seen the works of God. God had already promised to him that through Isaac, you would be the father of many nations, and that through his offspring... Um, the, the whole, the, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And so Abraham knew that God was a loving God. He knew that God was a just God. Prior to this, he'd seen the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. But before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, he appeared to Abraham and, and spoke with him. And Abraham said, Surely, Lord, you're not going to destroy the righteous with the wicked. He said, You know, Lord, if, if there's even 50 righteous in Sodom, are you going to destroy it? And, and God responded, no, I won't destroy it for the sake of 50. And he got all the way down to 10. He said, Lord, if there's 10 righteous in this city of Sodom, will you still destroy the righteous with the wicked? And God said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 10. And so what does God do in his righteousness and in his justice? He goes into the city. He finds Lot, you know, the only righteous man in the town. And he brings Lot and his family out of Sodom before destroying Sodom with fire from heaven. And we see both the mercy and love of God as well as his justice against evil and those who reject him in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so this is the God that Abraham had come to know who had been faithful to him all these years. Abraham was in his very old age. I mean, they couldn't even have children. And an angel appeared to him and said, you will have a son by your wife, Sarah. And, you know, Sarah laughed at the thought because she was past the age of childbearing. I think she was about 100 years old by memory. You know, 90, thank you. Thank you. So she's very old, and God miraculously gifted them a child in their old age. And so this was the child of promise. How could God, this loving, righteous God, ask me to offer up my son? But we read in the scriptures that Abraham believed God, and it was accredited to him for righteousness. So Genesis chapter 22, verse 3 to 14, I'll read it to you. Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and the lad and I will go yonder to worship and we will come back to you. 
Abraham said to his servants that both him and his son would return from this journey. See, Abraham had faith that no matter what happened on that mountain, God was still going to have to be faithful to his word. God is not a liar. You know, the scriptures say God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We don't serve a pagan God who, you know, loses his cool and is, you know, schizophrenic. We serve a God who is of sound mind. He's not going to break his word. You know, the author of Hebrews gives us further light on this. Hebrews chapter 11, that great passage talking about all the saints of faith. It says in Hebrews 11 verse 17, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up his son Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed will be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he received him in a figurative sense. So Abraham had such faith that he said, look, if God makes me follow through with this, the only conclusion I can come to is that God's going to have to raise him from the dead. So here's the first person in history, 2,000 years BC, believing that God is the one who has power to raise the dead. And he would do so because God is not a man that he should lie. So back to our story. Abraham, verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering. What faith this man had that God would provide a lamb. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there, placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now that I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its thorns by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. Abraham heard a version of the gospel back then. God provided a substitute in this ram. And you know, so too we have a ram caught in the thickets. The Lord Jesus, when the, when the Roman soldiers took him and mocked him, and they spat upon him and they beat, beat him at his trial, they took a crown of thorns and they, they twisted it around his head and they put a robe on him and mocked him and, and bowed the knee and said, Hail, King of the Jews. There was a ram caught in the thicket around the crown of thorns, around his head to remind all the Jewish people and all the people even today, 2,000 years later, that God has provided a lamb for sacrifice. You don't have to die for your sins. You don't have to be slain. You don't have to perish. God is offering everlasting life to whoever would receive his lamb of sacrifice. John chapter 1 verse 21, John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming towards him, said, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Religion's not going to do it. You know, you can get baptized multiple times in water. You can take communion as much as you want, but the Bible says that it's by faith we are saved, through grace. Not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Behold the lamb of God. Jesus Christ, who takes away the sin of the world. You can stand before God blameless. You can stand before Him clean. 
Now, who's the object of God's love? John 3.16, who is the object of God's love? It's the world. But who in the world? Is it us churchgoers only? Is it only the Christian community? What about good people? What about the homosexual community? Would you have the gall, if that's the right word, I don't know. I'm not very good at English, I'm sorry. Would you have the guts, maybe, to, to say that God so loved the homosexual community that he sent his only son, that whoever from that community would believe on him would receive everlasting life and not perish? What if we went further? What if we said the Labour Party? God so loved... It wasn't supposed to be funny. God so loved the Greens. God so loved Vladimir Putin. No, seriously, guys, I'm, I'm not trying to be funny. Like, God loved the world. He loved the wicked in the world. He loved us while we were still sinners. Don't think of yourself better than these people. We've got to be humble and realize that God is offering a free gift. He's offering reconciliation. Here's a bit of Bible trivia for you. Who was the first person in the Bible to see the resurrected Lord Jesus after he'd come out of the tomb? Oh, you guys are too good. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Mary Magdalene. And what does the scripture say in Mark chapter 16, verse 9? It says that now when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. Mary Magdalene was known previously before meeting Jesus as an unclean woman. She had seven demonic spirits living in her. And yet, this is the person that Jesus chose out of all the people in the world to reveal himself resurrected from the dead to first. We would have probably picked someone else. You know, we would have picked some high and lofty, righteous person who deserved to see him first. But God chose Mary, a woman who had unclean spirits. I mean, let's look at the Apostle Paul. I have, um, I've, so I, I work a secular job. I'm a manager of a caravan business. Sorry if you hear that multiple times, but there's new people here. Um, I'm not a pastor by day. <laughs> I'm a caravan builder. Woo. Paul, Paul was a tent builder, but we've moved on. We now do glamping. We've got air cons and diesel heaters. Yeah, come check us out on the web. No, kidding. But the Apostle Paul. So I have a trainee at work. He's just started. I manage this trainee. And um, he came into the lunchroom the other day. And he's only about 17. He's like, oh, Josh, someone told me you're a preacher. I said, oh, yeah, did they now? I said, well, I'm a youth pastor of a church in Nambour. He's like, oh, man, that's so cool. That's so sick. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, yeah, I don't know how. This is how they talk, all right? I'm, I'm in youth work. This is, this is normal language. Um, he, I said to him, so what's your background? Like, are, you know, you're excited about that. Are you, are you a Christian? Do you follow Jesus? He said, oh, no, nah, man. He's like, oh, you know. I'm too, like, not, not that way. He's like, I, I swear a lot. And I've got a bit of a filthy, filthy mouth on me, blah, blah, blah. And so I just said to him, look, Jesus wants to set you free from a filthy mouth. I just was like, why not tell him straight up front? Let's not, let's not beat around the bush. I said, Jesus wants to free you from your filthy tongue. He wants to free you from all this defilement. And um, he's like, oh, I don't know, man. Like, it's, I'm pretty bad, blah, blah, blah. And he started talking about how bad he was. Okay. <laughs> Well, I said to him, well, do you know who the Apostle Paul was? Um, I said, he wrote the majority of the New Testament. And I said, he was a Christian killer. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, have you heard of the story of um, Stephen being martyred? They picked up stones to throw at Stephen, and he was killed. The first Christian killed in the Bible, it says that Saul was the one who held everyone's clothes and cast his vote against him. 
I said, so Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, was a Christian killer. And this kid just went, what? His eyes opened up as big as like, I don't know, a marsupial that you're about to run over. He, they opened up really wide. Sorry to the marsupials that have perished because I didn't see them on the road at night. So, like a deer in headlights. We don't have deer around here. I have to say marsupial. So, big eyes. And he's like, what? He's like, and he just said to me, if God can save someone like that, he could save anyone. And I'm like, you get it. You get the gospel message. That is the gospel message. If God can save someone like that, he can save anyone. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. God was patient with Paul when he was a wicked sinner. When he was dragging, it says, both men and women to prison because they were followers of Jesus. When he was persecuting the church, someone who we would probably think is too far gone to be saved, not even worth praying for, Jesus appeared to him. Jesus turned his whole life around. He no longer killed Christians. In fact, in the end, he himself was killed for being a Christian. And he was willing to lay down his life for the one who had laid down his life for him. Paul laid down his life for the one who laid down his life for him. The Lord Jesus first loved us so much. And if, Paul, if, if, if God can save someone like Paul, he can save anyone. The trainee understood it. Praise God for that. But it's not only those sorts of people, it's also the good religious people that Jesus came to die for. You know, Nicodemus was rocked in John chapter 3 because Jesus said to him, Unless you're born again, Nicodemus, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And he was like, what? I'm a Jew. Like, I'm part of the chosen people. I'm a religious Jew. I read the Bible. I go to synagogue every week. You might be like Nicodemus here, thinking that your, your background makes you qualified somehow more than someone like Paul, who was a, a persecutor of the church. You know, some of us grew up in a Christian family, and we put too much weight in it. Some of us attend church every Sunday, but we still haven't chosen to, to fully trust and commit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. Attending church isn't going to get you into heaven. Trusting in Jesus is what's going to give you eternal life. Trusting that you needed a sacrifice. God so loved the world that he gave his only son for people like us. Sorry, I've got to skip over so much stuff. I really shouldn't write notes because they're terrible. They're just... Um, summarized. Thank you. Preach. Okay. It's like Star Wars. Do we have any Star Wars fans here? Okay, so this is really weird. I don't suggest you do this in life, but this morning I was thinking about my notes and I was like, you know what? I want to be like Luke Skywalker when, you know, Obi-Wan said to him, Luke... You know, stop looking through the little viewfinder thing. Put it away. So he pressed the button, put it away, and he just felt, no. We're not blowing up the Death Star this morning. But I hope we're finding life in Jesus. We're finding everlasting life. I brought the Bible along because I just wanted to say what the Bible says. John 3, 17, as I said to you, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's God's heart towards us, that you might be saved. Um, but as I said, you know, those who don't believe don't receive the promise of everlasting life. 
It's not me that's making the distinction. It's what Jesus said. It's what the Bible says, you know. Who cares what I say? I'm here trying to faithfully present to you um, what the Word of God says. And so there's a distinction between a believer and an unbeliever. You know, all who came to Jesus received everlasting life. But those who didn't come to Him didn't receive the gift of everlasting life. It says in uh, 1 John uh, that he who doesn't believe God's testimony of His Son says that they've actually made God a liar. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way, but, you know, I'm telling you what it says here, that we need to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins because He's the only hope that we have of everlasting life. But if you say, oh, there might be another way around this, or, you know, I can see how some people might need that, or even if we say, look, we don't have to believe it's available to everyone, because I meet some Christians like that, or, or churchgoers, I should say, who have a Christian form of universalism where they say everyone's going to heaven regardless of whether they believe the message or not. But every time they do that, they're bypassing the cross because God made the way plain. Whoever believes in the Son has everlasting life, it says in John 3.36. But whoever does not believe in the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's, that's what the Scriptures say. But God in His mercy wants to deliver us from that. So, I just kind of want to end on that note that there's life in His name. How do we receive this God? Well, it says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's available to you. You don't have to work hard for it. You have to simply believe and give Him thanks for this wonderful gift, the most loving gift ever given, the gift of His Son. And so I'm just going to pray now. Maybe I'll invite, do we have a, a song we could end in? Yep. I'll just invite the worship team up. Um, Feel free to come chat to me or one of the leaders after the church if you need a clarification or anything or if you, if you want to receive Jesus as your life, as the way that you can come to God, as the way you can know God as Father. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. That's what the Scripture says. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Lord, we just thank you so much that you're a good God, that you're a faithful God. We thank you that you're a loving Heavenly Father to all your children who come to you by faith. Lord, we thank you that, you know, God, you so loved the world that you gave your only Son. You so loved me, Lord, that you gave your only Son, that if I would believe in you, I would receive everlasting life. I thank you for that gift, Lord. I thank you for that gift of mercy. Lord, I just ask for those in this room who don't yet know you, that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, that Holy Spirit, you would be here to reveal the truth, that you would open blind eyes, open deaf ears, Lord. Give us a new heart. You said we must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God, that it's a work that you need to do for us. We can't enter a second time into our mother's womb, Lord. We need to be born from above. We need a new heart. Lord, thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have new life in him. Lord, do something mighty in this place, in Jesus' name. Thank you for your power, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that you've promised this everlasting life, that you will dwell with your people forever and ever, that nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your gift.